All right. Good job, Laura. I think I think she's. I don't know if she's here now. So you know, if you get chased after by Laura, it's either because you haven't met anybody or you haven't been to church for a really long time. And but anyway, I hope we'll be that kind of community that will chase after people uh, in in a semi not too awkward way and, and be friendly to them. So uh, yeah, we'll hope to hear more of those kinds of stories. As we go along together, my name's David. I am a campus pastor and missionary up at Western Washington University um, with the University of Christian Ministries, and I also serve as an elder here. And so I am going to be speaking. I'm going to be finishing up our series here. So I'm the uh, I'm the cleanup hitter. I don't know if that I'm back in the you know deep in the batting lineup because they're not sure I can get on base or or I can bring them in home. I'm not sure, but anyway, that's where I'm at. So we're going to wrap up our series. Uh, it's, this fall, we've been going through a series called Life on Mission, living our life intentionally and sharing God's love intentionally, being missionaries right where we're at. And so um, we've been talking about what does it look like to pray like a missionary? What does it look like to think and be strategic like a missionary? What does it mean to have the heart to see and feel like a person on mission? What does it mean to be with people in intentional ways and to care for them? So now we come, now we come to the topic where the rubber kind of really hits the road, and it is speaking like a missionary. And this is where everybody goes, oh, you know, uh, oh. This, but this is important stuff, right? Uh, because that's part of our life on mission is to be those who speak. All of us who know Christ have met him and are part of his, uh, his family we met him, we learn of him because somebody spoke to us, right? Somebody spoke to us. It might have been a parent, it might have been a friend, it might have been a youth pastor, boyfriend, girlfriend, ex-boyfriend, ex-girlfriend. I hear a lot of those stories and, you know, that all works out too. Coworker, fellow student, lots of potential people. But usually someone at some point told us about Jesus and that's why we are where we are today. Now, I did once, I hear, heard an amazing story, and I, I, I'm a, I think it is true, but I wasn't able to verify it. It was about a, an account of a Muslim village that actually came to Christ, and there was no Christian missionary witness there. That um, the, one night, uh, the villagers, a bunch of them had dreams about Jesus, kind of the sovereign thing of angelic dreams. And they woke up in the morning and they were telling each other, I had this dream about Jesus. And they, bunches of them were saying this. And it began to, man, maybe we ought to consider this, this Jesus person. And that kind of led the door for them coming to faith. <clears throat> but lest we think, oh, great, we'll just pray that people have dreams about Jesus and won't have to say anything. It is, in, in, if this story is, is accurate, these dreams uh, occurred on the 700-year anniversary of the martyrdom of some Christians who had lived and witnessed in that area. So even in this sovereign act of God, there was actually already a witness that had planted the seed. And I don't know how that all works. I'm, I'm, not, you know, I'm not here to have that kind of theological discussion. But it, even in that case, it's interesting that... Um, that there was a witness. And so it should be instructive to us the importance of witness. And sometimes our witness costs us. And sometimes we don't see any results. And maybe we won't ever get to see the result on this side. But there is this mandate 
from Jesus. So we, those who follow him, those who know him, are to speak of him to others. But of course, this is, this is where we get a little nervous, right? Because instantly in our heads, we have pictures of, of Mormon missionaries coming to our door. Or Jehovah's Witnesses. Uh, or street preachers. You know, up at Western, we get a lot of those crazy street preachers. We also have some really good street preachers called People from Campus Christian Fellowship. And they do a really good job, too. And they're not obnoxious. They just love people and tell the truth. Um, and we might get nervous. I don't know, I don't know what to say exactly. Um, and I'm not sure how it will be received, especially in our culture where people are pretty edgy and uptight if, if they get the sense, oh man, this person's like, I think they're trying to convert me and they're getting a little zealous about their, their religious faith. And so well, there are some real challenges, so I'm, I'm hoping to help us a, a bit here. And so I, I want to start with uh, a helpful little passage that is found in Colossians uh, chapter 4. Um, and... We're not going to spend a lot of time here, but I want us to, to kind of kick off our, our time here with this scripture. Paul says this, Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt. It's appropriate Thanksgiving, right? This, this food image. So that you may know how to answer everyone. And I just like some things that is a... That Paul's assuming here. One, he's assuming that we are actually living with people and we're living in a way that's wise and that they can actually see our lives and may actually prompt some questions. Notice how there's this, it, this assumption that some questions may be asked. Why do you live the way you live? Why do you think the way you think? Why do you have the kind of values that you have? And that it might actually spark a conversation. And notice the context here is conversation. He didn't say go to the street corner and preach, although if you want to do that, I don't think Jesus would be uptight about that. But it's in the midst of natural conversations with the people we live and work with that we begin to to speak in a way that is salty, that is flavored with grace. But what does that really look like? What does it mean to have salty, flavorful, gracious conversations about Jesus? Uh, it probably doesn't mean saying Jesus every other sentence when you're with people. That's called dumping the whole salt shaker out on the conversation. Ah, it's too spicy. It's too blah. It, it's, it's letting Jesus flow out of our conversation. So let's talk a bit about how that might look. And I had so many thoughts here, and I was talking with Tim about it. And so I, I finally settled on, we're just going to talk about telling stories, Okay. To live as a missionary, to be people on mission, is that means that we are to become God's storytellers. That we sprinkle our conversations with the story of the gospel, with the story of Jesus, and with our own story. So let's think about story for a minute. It's interesting how much of the Bible comes to us in story form. And isn't it interesting and probably instructive that Jesus was a master storyteller? He told a lot of stories, right, about bad, uh, about bad rabbis and, and people who partied a lot and ended up in the kingdom. And he just all, all these interesting stories. I like a good story. I think most of us like a good story. I think when it comes to our kind of gospelizing, trying to communicate Christ to people, I don't know that the church as a whole is very good at telling stories. I think we do better at giving lists, uh, of setting out some rules, 
some kind of four-point outlines. You know, if you're older like me, you would know the four spiritual laws. If you know that, that dates you. If you don't, that means you're younger, and that's okay. All right? Um, or formulas, kind of on how to, you know, here's how you can get to heaven. Step one, two, three, four. Get your free ticket. And I think in doing that, while there's some truth in those things, it really leaves uh, the gospel pale, flimsy, unengaging, and it's incomplete. And we don't really paint a good picture of who Christ is and who God is. Because the gospel at its essence isn't a formula kind of prescribing some abstract spiritual transactions you could have with God so you can get to heaven. At its essence, the story is an epic and cosmic story about God and about his reign, his loving, transforming reign coming into our world and into our lives. Now, I don't know how many of you parents of younger children own the Jesus Story Bible book right here. If your kid, kids have gone to Treasureland, and it's for certain if they've gone through kindergarten, they'll get this as a gift. So there's your plug for Treasureland, okay? Um, and I suppose if you really want one, well, you could buy one. You could go to Treasureland and graduate as a kindergartner, but that might be awkward if you're my age. But it's a great book. It's wonderfully written. It's wonderfully illustrated. Um, and so I was reading. I read it, kind of read it through last week, kind of thinking about this talk. And I just wanted, as I read it, I was reminded again, it's a story. It's not primarily a list of principles or rules or clever arguments. It's a story. So I'm just going to just read the opening of this, okay? Um, and we even have some of the, the pictures, yeah, up there. Nice, okay. So this is just their intro to the whole book. Now, some people think the Bible is a book of rules telling you what you should and shouldn't do. Now, the Bible certainly does have some rules in it. They show you how life works best. But the Bible isn't mainly about you and what you should be doing. It's about God and what he has done. Other people think the Bible is a book of heroes showing you people you should copy. Now, the Bible does have some heroes in it, but as you'll soon find out, most of the people in the Bible aren't heroes at all. They make some big mistakes, sometimes on purpose. They get afraid and run, or run away. At times, they are downright mean. No, the Bible isn't a book of rules or a book of heroes. The Bible is most of all a story. It's an adventure story about a young hero who comes, hero with a capital H, who comes from a far country to win back his lost treasure. It's a love story about a brave prince who leaves his palace, his throne, everything to rescue the one he loves. It's like the most wonderful of fairy tales that has become true in real life. You see, the best thing about this story, capital S, is it's true. There are lots of stories in the Bible, but all the stories are telling one big story, the story of how God loves his children and comes to rescue them. It takes the whole Bible to tell this story. And at the center of the story, there is a baby. Every story in the Bible whispers his name. He is like the missing piece in a puzzle, the piece that makes all the other pieces fit together, and suddenly you can see the beautiful picture. And this is no ordinary baby. This is the child upon whom everything would depend. This is the child who would one day... But wait. Our story starts where all good stories start, right at the very beginning. You'll have to go get it. 
Or you could read the, the, the unabridged version right here, okay? So it's great, though. It's a story, right? And we're drawn into a story. And we are to be the God's storytellers, telling this story. And it's, it's important, one, because it's true. I think that's probably one of the most important things, because it's true. Not just a good story, it's a true story. But also because our culture is telling a whole lot of other kinds of stories. Stories that aren't as true. Stories that aren't actually good news. Stories that could lead us in very unhelpful places. The story that our, our, our lives and this world is pretty much just an accident, just kind of by fluke we're here. Um, and there isn't really any meaning to it other than what we can try to figure out ourselves and, and push some meaning into it. You know, and if we can't, then, you know, then there's always the just eat, drink, and be merry story. Because tomorrow we die and we don't know why we ever showed up here. Or there's the live for the weekend story. Monday through Friday we have no clue. And, and we're just drudging out our boring lives. There's the make a lot of money story. There's a just live for pleasure story. There's lots of stories out there. But we're called to both live in this story and tell this particular story. And it's probably good for us to just pause and say, what story are you living in right now? You want to know how you find out the answer to that? It's what you talk about. What you most talk about in your conversations, what you generally, you know, talk about ends up over a long time, if we kind of analyze that, that's the story you're living in. And so it's challenging for me. You know, how much do I naturally speak of, this, of Jesus and the story I'm in? Is that really my story? I think part of what we need to do is be captivated by our own story, really live in the story, not just Sunday morning, you know, this is a Sunday morning story. But is it a Monday morning story? Is it a Tuesday afternoon story? Is it a Wednesday at home story in the evening? Is it a Saturday story? When we're captivated by it, I think we'll begin naturally to speak of it. Our conversations will begin to be sprinkled and seasoned with the story because we're living it. We're in it. And we always tell the story we're actually in. And so part of my, my hope there was simply that we would say, Lord, get this story in me and actually help me to live in it fully, not just Sunday mornings, but my whole life. And we're to be those who tell it and to speak it. You know, we, uh, on campus we'll go out and, and, you know, it's college campus so you can just do some fun stuff. And, and you know, some of us will just occasionally go out and we'll just interact with students. And I just did that this, this last week with one of our interns, took a camera. And we actually were asking the who is Jesus question as part of his outreach that he's doing. Um, and it's so interesting over the years that, that I am amazed. Well, I'm not amazed, but at some levels I'm amazed how little people actually know the story, the Jesus story. Um, even though we think our culture is saturated with it, most people actually... They don't, they don't know much. And, and the stuff they know is off secondhand and it's fuzzy and it's actually sometimes, uh, it isn't accurate at all. And so, uh, you know, I can remember once talking with a student and, uh, and this student was just amazed to learn that Jesus wasn't a, a white Anglo-European. 
I, you know, when I told him, actually, he's, he's, he was an oppressed, part of an oppressed minority group, and he was homeless. I said, really? Wow, that's cool. You know, because it's cool. It's cool to be, you know, homeless and, and part of that group, you know. But it, it was amazed. It was intrigued. You know, people are shocked when I talk about, oh, yeah, Jesus, Jesus led the charge on women's rights and education long before it was ever popular in our setting. How we'd welcome women to, to follow and teach and learn. And that, in fact, it was a woman that he first revealed himself to in his resurrection. Because he knew they would get the story right. <laughs> Guys are just not the best storytellers. You've got to let the women do the storytelling, right? Oh, that's you know, interesting. You know, I love to tell, talk about Jesus, how inclusive he is. How he'd cross over all kinds of racial political, social, religious, and gender barriers and boundaries of the day. People don't really know this Jesus. They think they, they, think they, have, they know him, but they, I'm finding more and more, especially in our kind of post-Christian secular culture, they don't even know the stories. And I, and I miss something if I assume they do. I love to tell, especially on campus, you know, that how Jesus regularly made the religious church-going people really uptight, and, and conf- he was regularly confronting those people. And yet the, quote-unquote, the sinners really found themselves at home with Jesus. He'd even go to their parties. The party would become like him rather than him like the party, though. That was the twist. And so we tell the stories. We allow the story of Jesus to become a part of, uh, of our conversation with people, just even describing Jesus. And I think at points people will be surprised and they'll be uh, and amazed at points at how much they can connect or, or he becomes relevant to their story. I remember once um, I just graduated uh, from Western. I had a summer before doing the, the college ministry internship, and so I had to get a job. Um, and so I worked for Bellingham Frozen Foods um, as a pea viner, which means you drive pea combines, 12-hour shifts, six days a week. <sighs> I gained a lot of weight there because Shelly would pack these enormous lunches, dinners, breakfasts, and I'd just sit there and eat um, and drive this pea combine. And, um, and there were other, both high school and college folks who did it. And there's one guy in particular, I remember his name is Jim, and um, he was a Western student and not a, not a follower of Christ or a Christian, but, but a really neat guy. We had a good, good relationship, good conversations. I remember one morning he came to the shop and he was just normally an upbeat guy, but he was down and something was wrong. And so eventually I said, Jim, what is, what's going on? What's wrong? And he said, well, and so he proceeded to tell this story of how uh, his girlfriend of two years, had, he had just found out that she was a chronic liar. She'd made up all these stories about who she was, about her family situation, and she was also dating somebody else simultaneously while dating him. Oh, I mean, that's, that's brutal, right? That's brutal. Now, I could have said, hey, you know, well, you shouldn't put your hope in a girlfriend anyway, Jim. Let me tell you about Jesus. Ah, not so good. Not a, not a good entry line, you know. So at one point during the day on a break, I really felt impressed just to go talk with him. I felt like the Lord, he kind of led me in our conversation to just begin telling about Jesus and Jesus being betrayed by Judas. And that, you know, God really identifies God in, through Jesus has experienced real betrayal. He knows what it is to have a dear friend turn on you, be false with you. 
And he, he, and he really caught it, you know, in the jaw because of that, although it was actually it was his intention to do this. But he understood, he identified. And man, I tell you what, all of a sudden the gospel became very interesting to Jim. It became very like, wow, that, you know, he was listening. Now, he didn't fall on his knees right there, right in the pea fields, you know, and give his heart to Jesus. But it was a way to be salt and season our conversation and his experience with, with the relevance of Christ. He actually has something to do with his story. And so I, you know, let's live in the story. Let's, let's tell those stories. And let's believe that Jesus actually is an intriguing, amazing person people want to hear about and actually has something to say about their life experiences. We can do that without dumping the whole thing of salt on them. We can begin to sprinkle and season our conversation. And so they might not ever come to church. Yeah, you know, we have this, uh, this uh, who is this Jesus? We're going to plug it again because I think it's great, you know, and we're going to describe Jesus and help people really hear him. And I do hope you'll invite people, and I hope they'll come. But the reality is you don't want to just leave it to a church service to, you know, get people to hear about Jesus. It's great if they'll come, but really we're the missionaries who are out in the fields. We're the ones sharing and, and describing Christ and why they might even be interested in him. So, but do invite people, and guess what? You know what? If they don't come, you at least you raise the question, who is Jesus? And you can have a nice little conversation just because of the invite, okay? So, but I don't want to just simply leave it as storytelling. As, we do tell the stories of Jesus. We describe them. But we're not just telling the stories of him, you know, thousands of years ago, and aren't those interesting stories? Because as Christians, we've met him. I was talking with Jesus this morning. Some of you were talking with him this morning. Some of you have been talking to him right now. He's alive. We believe that. We put our faith in that, that he's alive. He's somebody that we could, we could meet and that he's, in fact, been meeting us in our stories. So all of a sudden, it's not just stories back then of what he did with some people back then, you know, thousands of years ago, but what he's done in my life and in my particular story. And so... To speak like a missionary means that we need to tell our story. And I think we need to hear each other's stories, too. And tell how our stories have begun to be caught up into this Jesus, this great story. There's an account in the Gospels of Jesus who rescues a demon-possessed man. Um, you know, this, this guy had a legion of demons. It was just a horrific picture of self-destruction isolation. And, and believe me, if we don't think that that still happens today, it, it does. And I'm not just talking about the, you know, the, the crazy Hollywood versions, but people who are trapped in self-destructive, isolated lives, cut off from people. And Jesus comes in and he sets this man free. And, and, and then this, of course, understandably, the man begs, could I go with you, Jesus? Could I hang out with you? And, and interesting, Jesus says, no. And it's not because it's like, well, you know, because the boat only fits 12, 13 of us and there's no room for you. I mean, that's not, the, that's not what he's doing. No, he says, he's, instead he says this, return home and tell how much God has done for you. Jesus wants this guy to be a missionary. And he's the best one to be a missionary because people knew this guy from before. And then when they see him change, they're going to say, what happened? How did, how did this happen? And there's his chance to speak of this Jesus who he met. And so the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. So what does it mean for us to speak like a missionary? It's this line. It is 
to go and tell others how much God has done for you, how much he has done for me. And you know what? Uh, if you've been at all in this community at all, you know there's some wonderful stories. I think all of us have stories. Some aren't as dramatic as others, but there's still stories of how God met us and has changed us. I asked, uh, I don't know if Andrea is here, but she might have been first service. I think she was here first service. Andrea Ketchum. She, uh, and I asked her for permission for this, um, but she posted on Facebook, so I said, hey, it's kind of public anyway, but I did check with her, you know. I figured it was Facebook. It's kind of fair game, but um, she put this on her Facebook post uh, uh, yesterday. 26 years ago today, I walked into treatment, terrified of living a life without drugs, At a staff meeting, when the counselors sit around and discuss clients, it was stated that they did not believe that I was going to make it because I was too far gone. Nice, she puts that in capitals. Nice. Dot, dot, dot. God must have certainly took that on as a challenge. As today, he has restored me, he has redeemed me, he has taken me from the mud and the mire and put my feet on the firm rock of Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen? That's what she said, but I think we should say amen to that. Don't you want to hear the full story behind that? Oh, man. Here's somebody whose life is going nowhere good fast. And Jesus met her and changed her. And we love on Andrea. Little, little, she'd hate this. I don't think she's here. We call her Laundria because she, when Shelly had cancer, she did laundry for us. So she just became Laundria because she would just say, put your laundry out and I'll do it for you. God has so changed her. So beautiful. You know, and there, there are many other stories that we could talk about. And I, we should be sharing these stories more. I mean, I'm sure we do it in small group, but we should share them here. People who, you know, uh, one of our students who's since graduated who is an hardcore atheist, and who, you know, like to argue against Christians, met Jesus and, and, and ended up leading a Bible study group for a bunch of atheists. That's a cool story. It's true. Stories about, you know, and I've heard some of, some of the stories of, of your stories, of some horrific abuse, even sexual violence done to you, and how you found grace and forgiveness and healing, forgiven those who did violence against you, and, and your, uh, your people filled with grace and love. These stories need to be sprinkled in to our conversations especially if they're your story. But even as we tell, talk to other people, we can tell each other's stories, right? They're common property. And we can use them in sharing about Christ and what he's done. And here's the great thing. Nobody argues with the story. They'll argue maybe when you get the chapter verse out and try to make your, your theological assertions. But if you tell the story, your own experience, what can they say? But wow, that's okay. You know? And for some people who are desperate, finding their own stories a bit desperate, finding that they, they're looking for something. They just might, they just might actually want to find out more about this Jesus who met you in your story and transformed it. And so we need to be people who, who tell stories. We need to tell our story. By doing that, we're really telling the gospel story, but it's in our, it's in our experience. So think through how Jesus changed your life. And you don't have to have the gutter to glory story. He's changing us. He's making real differences in our lives. And we begin to tell people about that in non-preachy, conversational ways. 
We, when we do that, we're, we're missionaries. And when we do that, we become powerful signposts to our friends, to our family, to our coworkers, that there's, there is a God who's loving and real and isn't just locked into, the, you know, years ago, thousands of years ago, but is active and present in the world and who's making a real difference, really healing, really changing people, really drawing us into uh, become a new people. And so we need to be those who tell the story. Now, I wanted to, to close, um, and I just thought it needed to be said somewhere in this whole series, and I thought, I'm, I'll, I'll be the guy to say it, because I just think it needs to be said. For, for us to both live a certain way and speak a certain way means we're going to need the, the, the work of the Spirit in our, in our life. To be on mission, to speak as God's storytellers, we're going to need the power of the Spirit. This isn't something we can do on our own. In fact, Jesus said that we could not do this on our own. After Jesus, his resurrection, he has his disciples around him. He's telling them, hey, you guys are going to be storytellers. He didn't quite say it that way, but he used the word witnesses. You're going to be witnesses of these things. Um, And you would think that them sitting there seeing Jesus, this guy who was dead, like really dead, like really, really dead, alive, and telling them would be enough. Like, okay, I think we can go tell this story, right? This guy was dead, he's alive. But Jesus didn't think that was enough. He didn't think them seeing him physically raised from the dead would be enough. Interesting, isn't it? He said that they were actually going to need to receive some power to do this. So we read in Luke 24, right at the end here. He's talking to his disciples post-resurrection. He says, You are witnesses of all these things, and now I will send the Holy Spirit just as my Father promised. But stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. In other words, don't try this storytelling thing until you receive some power to do it. And that Greek word for power is dunamis. That's the, the word in Greek. And dunamis is where we get dynamite. We need some dynamite. Some of us have the gospel right in here, our stories right in here, but it's kind of all locked in here. And so Jesus just wants to take a little stick of Holy Spirit dynamite, set it right there, and blow it up. Now, he won't blow you up. I know that's kind of, that's, that's maybe not the best image, okay? But he's going to, he wants to unleash it, and, and allow ourselves to tell the story. I think we need that. We, I know we need that. We, saw the, we see the difference it made in the disciples. They went from a very fearful and, you know, denying, or we don't even know this guy, and cowering together, even after his resurrection, to a, a people who were proclaiming Jesus all over the place. Eventually got most of them killed, but they would just simply not shut up about how the good news of what Jesus, who he is, and what he had done in their lives. And so if we're feeling, you know, come through the series, coming out of this talk, and we're feeling a little intimidated, like, oh, man, I don't know. I think I just like to have other people do it, you know. Um, Good news. The Spirit's here to help. He'll give us the courage to initiate, the courage to maybe invite a neighbor, the courage to bring up Jesus in a conversation, or just talk about our own experience about, I don't see it that way, you know. I think God's really helped me to think differently about these kinds of situations when we're standing around with our fellow coworkers. The Spirit can, can and will help us if we'll ask Him, because He's available. So um, I want to close uh, in prayer, and I want to pray that, and, and just um, ask us, to invite the the Spirit's presence to help us.
Lord, uh, thank you. Thank you that this, this great story isn't just locked on some pages in the distant, in, in the distant past, but this story is, is, is ongoing right now. It's still being lived out. And we're anticipating the day when it's all fulfilled, when you return, and, and we're with you. And Jesus, we actually see you face to face. But in, the, in between now, time, Lord, now we need your help. We want to be your people who actually live in the story, who, who really allow that message to shape us Monday morning when we get up for work or we go to class. So help us to experience that, not just a Sunday morning kind of thing, but the reality of our life. And Lord, we pray to be such a gripping reality that we can't help but begin to speak of it. Help us be gracious. Help us to, to be natural in our conversation about it. But do help us to speak and give us the courage and give us the words to say and the stories to tell. Well, we, we long for people to really meet you. We know the difference you make. Lord, we pray we would be a signpost. And so we ask for your Holy Spirit to help us, empower us, Lord, fill us. Help us to pray, to seek, and, and, to, and open our hearts to that, that dynamite, that explosion of you in our hearts so that it will flow out of our mouths, God. We thank you and praise you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. So we're going to respond uh, by taking communion. And so I'm just going to move right down here, and we're just going to uh, be ready, get ready to take communion. As I think about um, this meal, um, this meal really tells a story. It really tells the Jesus story. And it's interesting, when Jesus first uh, instituted the Lord's Supper, he was actually celebrating Passover, which was uh, the people of Israel telling their story of how God had delivered them from Egypt, how they had been in bondage and and slaves to these dark powers, and how God had, in the Passover, he had passed over them as they put the blood of the lamb on the doorposts. He would spared them and rescued them in a mighty way, defeating their enemies. And so they would celebrate this meal, and they'd tell that story. So it was in that storytelling celebration that Jesus institutes what we now know is the Lord's Supper or communion. And really, he's, he tells the story, but then he puts a twist on it. And he says, by the way, now this story keeps getting played out where God comes and rescues and, and brings us to a better place. But instead of, 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 of the blood of a goat or a lamb, it becomes my blood, my blood, which is poured out, which is spread over as a banner over your life. Speaking of God's great love, and of his great rescue. And so as we celebrate communion, we are, in a sense, telling the story of the cross, but we're also telling the story that, uh, of, of Jesus' rescue of our own lives. And we affirm that, and we find strength and power then in this meal also to be those who tell that story. Now, for some of you, you know, I realize this is kind of a Christian talk, you know, in that sense, telling people how to tell our story and the gospel story. But you may be here and you're, you're not. That's not your story yet. But you're hearing about it. And you're hearing other people's stories. This would be a great meal to make this become your story. Because this is really just declaring that, that this story of Jesus is now, I'm taking it in. I'm, I'm letting him be Lord. I'm letting him be, become the one who defines what my life story is. And so if that's where you're at, and, and you're ready to, to say, I'm in. 
I want in on the story. I don't want to just watch other people live the story. I want in on it. Then you, by all means, this meal is, is, is for you as well as for all of us who are, have called ourselves Christians and walk with Jesus. So uh, what we'll do, I'll invite the, the, the servers. They can come now and go ahead. We'll have, they can grab the elements right now and um, we'll have three stations up here and, or two up here and then three in the back. And the middle one is, is gluten-free because Jesus is inclusive. He doesn't want anybody to not get in on the meal, okay? So, um, so if that's you, you can go to the middle station in the back. Um, and you just dip the bread in. Um, they'll, they'll offer you the bread, the body of Christ, and you dip it into the cup, which is a picture of his blood shed for us. Parents, it's up to you, to you if you want your kids to participate or not. We leave that at your discretion. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read what... Uh, Words that Paul spoke, uh, really, which he's just telling the story that Jesus told about this meal. So let me read that, and then we'll pray. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim, I'll fill in here, you proclaim the story of Jesus. You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So let's pray. Lord, in this meal we we say uh, that, Jesus, you frame our story. We only understand our story in light of yours. And we've made you the center point of our story. And we understand the great sacrifice it took for that to be true, for this great rescue to take place. And we celebrate it and we thank you. You don't, want us, you don't make us to feel guilty about it. You want us to celebrate your great love, that you would go to this length to, to rescue us. And so, Lord, we pray this would be our declaration in this meal here and in this service, but it would also be our declaration when we leave here. Monday morning, when we go to work, when we go to, uh, we go to our classes, wherever we end up in the neighborhood, that this meal would be something we proclaim as the reality, the, the center point of our lives. We thank you, Jesus, and pray these things in your name. Amen.